our confession of faith on chapter 26 of the church in paragraph 8. As this, a particular church gathered and completely organized according to the mind of Christ consists of officers and members and the officers appointed by Christ to be chosen and set apart by the church, so called and gathered for the particular a peculiar administration of ordinances and execution of power or duty which he entrusts them with or calls them to, to be continued to the end of the world. These offices are bishops or elders and deacons. As we come to Acts chapter 6, this morning we come to a, the basis of one of these offices that we are speaking of in Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Whenever a number of people grows, the possibility of problems also multiplies. The growth of a church not only brought in large numbers of people, but it also saw growth in diversity of people as well. Old, young, middle-aged widows, families, some from Jewish backgrounds, and now all of a sudden increasingly some from Gentile backgrounds. Then also there were language issues. And these we see in our passage as they were somewhat the basis of the issue. If you remember back in chapter 2, we saw Jews from numerous nations. And the different languages and dialects that those Jews spoke, which made up the tongues or languages that were spoken by the apostles at that time. The Jews were from, uh, there were Jews from the immediate area of Judea who spoke Aramaic, a language which was very similar to Hebrew. But the Jews that had been dispersed they took on the common language of the place that 
their surroundings, which was predominantly at that time Greek. So you have the local Jewish widows referred to as Hebrews, and the Greek-speaking Jews who were widows were called Hellenists. Now, we come to the passage, we read that in those days, when the number of disciples was multiplying, so we understand there's, there's rapid growth that's taking place. We've, we've seen it in two or three places already. But even in the midst of this glorious time, problems would arise. I mean, how many people do you have to have before there's a possibility of a problem? Generally, it takes two, but I know some people who do argue with themselves. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 35, we read of people selling properties and goods and, and laying the proceeds at the feet of the apostles. And from there, they would be distributed to those who had great needs. Well, perhaps the most needy amongst them were those who were widows. There were different types of widows. If you read in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and in verse 5, there were widows who were in families. And so it was up to the families to take care of those widows. But then he speaks of those who were widows indeed. These were ones who had no family to support them. To them, it was up to the church to take care of them and support them. They were left alone, so as we read in 1 Timothy 5 and verse 5. So here, these real widows depended upon a, a daily distribution for their survival. And as we saw, there were two groups, the local widows who were considered the Hebrews and the widows of the dispersed Jews, the Greek-speaking Hellenists. And in the distribution of food, it seemed like there was a bias towards the hometown ladies. They were getting a greater share. Now we can read this and we can look at this and say, ha, well, you know, it's going to be, somebody's going to be complaining. It's always, it's always one of those things. But what we have here is a potential of a major problem. If not handled correctly, terrible things could happen. We say, well, we already had a problem with Ananias and Sapphira, and the Lord took care of that one pretty quick. But that was just two people. Here was a problem of greater proportion and potential. It was even a greater problem in that it had the possibility of casting a, a negative light on the apostles themselves. People start to complain and the complaints get bigger and louder. And say, well, the apostles are showing favors. Favorites. They're not treating everybody equally. And if they're not treating everybody equally, can we really trust them? You know how things quickly degenerate. It's not just in 2022 that these things are happening. It, it was quite common that these things were going on back then as well. <laughs> Don't let anybody fool you. Human nature has not changed. Everybody out there carries the same mentality as Adam, a fallen Adam. They don't have, they're not any way superior to him. 
You can say, yeah, but we do things better. And we know better. Well, you know what? They knew 4,000 years ago that it was wrong to kill a baby in the womb. What about us? More on that later. So had the possibility of casting a negative light on the apostles since they had the initial means of distribution and it could easily descend into distrust. So let's look at the first part then. And the first part would be this. They, the apostles, responded by recognizing the issue. They responded by recognizing the issue. Well, what's important about that? Well, when the 12 heard of it, they did something. See, at first it might have been easy to deny or dismiss it as, oh, well, you know, in this group we're bound to have some malcontents. Instead, they saw how awful iniquity would be, inequality would be in a situation. So in verse 2, notice what they did. They didn't say, let's come up with a decree for these people to follow. What did they do? They called the whole assembly of the church together. Perhaps one of the first called business meetings of the New Testament church. And with that realization, there was also something that they, the apostles, came to the realization that they were not called by God to do these things. They had what I might call a Moses and Jethro moment. And I know every time I mention the name Jethro, people immediately go to the Beverly Hillbillies. But Jethro was Moses' father-in-law. And Jethro saw all the things that Moses was handling. And he said, you can't do this yourself. You need to, you need to spread this work out, to divide it up. And it's like the apostles had come to that moment. The church existed in two realms, the heavenly or spiritual, but also the earthly and temporal. And so in that time, as they had the church all together, the apostles said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Now, let's make clear that there was no disdain put on the idea of serving tables. It's not like we shouldn't leave the word of God to serve tables. They realized by what they were doing and showing that this is a very important thing, that, that the temporal concerns of the church are very important as well. And so they recognized that there was a a need for a certain order in the church and the need for those who could oversee the earthly needs of the church. It's not desirable, they said, not in form or not in outcome or in the will of God that we should do this. And having called the multitude together, they laid out a proposal, one that showed great wisdom. They said, seek out from among yourselves seven men 
One, of good reputation, quite important. And two, of even greater necessity, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we then may appoint over this business. You see, the problem wasn't with the teaching and the preaching. The problem was among the temporal concerns of the church. And so it needed to be handled amongst the people and the distribution of the necessities of life for the, the widows should be something that the church body itself was, was taking part in. So seek out among these seven who you trust implicitly. But how much they would need to be men filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, because with temporal problems, a lot of times there's a spiritual issue involved as well. And when things start getting handed out, guess what? There will always be those who will come who don't belong there. But seeing an opportunity, they'll sneak in. So the ability to discern who it was that was in line and coming for their distribution was a very important thing. And that discernment had to come from the Holy Spirit. Because a lot of times we look at somebody and there might be a widow coming in. She's, she's got a new robe on. And they'll say, if she's doing real good, why do we have to give her? Because we look and we see certain conditions and we think, well, this doesn't meet what we think. So there needs to be something that goes beyond. Because it very well could be somebody who was ratty clothes and says, yeah, I'll, I'll fool them with this. Just think of what the Gibeonites did. The ability to have the discernment was necessary for the task. Whom we appoint over this business. It was not saying the serving tables was demeaning, but it was necessary and it had to be done by a different group of people than the apostles. The apostles were saying, honestly, we can't do it all. That's not what we're called to do. And so we need to give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. So there's the first part. The apostles respond by recognizing there's a problem. The second part then is the people respond by recognizing what they said was right. And so in verse 5, and the saying pleased the whole multitude. They desired this very thing that the apostles give themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Not a single voice of dissent is given here. There's no seeming discord. Just as a sideline, if you look at the names of the people who were chosen, they're all Greek names. Seven men of, who spoke Greek to take care of the situation. So it was the Greek-speaking Jewish widows who were being neglected. The people said, okay, let's give seven Jewish Greek-speaking men to oversee this. Now, 
That has to be a work of God. Because otherwise, somebody would say, well, let's make it 4-3. Let's start to split it up so we have everybody represented. They said, no, they said, here's seven men. We don't care. We don't care what they speak. We care about their character, and we care about if they're filled with the Holy Spirit or not. And these were the seven. Each of the men chosen had a Greek name. They were all Hellenists. Think for a moment. What if the apostles had chosen those seven? Immediately the people would say, Ah, you see, they're playing favorites. And there would have been rumblings of favoritism. The people saw that it was the Hellenists that were being disadvantaged, so they chose those who would be more aware. The men chosen, Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. It appears that <clears throat> it would not matter what district he was from. He was noted for all his traits. Full of faith. And by the way, there's not a division there. Full of faith and then full of the Holy Spirit. In order to be full of the Holy Spirit, he had to be full of faith. I mean... You can't be full of faith apart from the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> it's not a, a thing where it's two steps or anything like that. Faith is a gift that comes from the Holy Spirit. So therefore, you don't divide the two and say, well, you know, he, he was full of faith, and because of his faith, he got the Spirit. No, he would not have faith without the Spirit. Have you... Would you ever say that he was full of faith, but he didn't have the Holy Spirit? That wouldn't make sense, would it? Oh, yeah, he's, he's full of faith, but he doesn't have the Holy Spirit. He would need spiritual gifts to work out this distribution fairly. The next was Philip, and we will hear from him in Acts chapter 8. The others we won't hear about again except for maybe Nicholas. Nicholas, according to the early church fathers, was the one who was responsible for those titled or named in Revelation 2 and verse 6, the Nicolaitans, who apparently, Nicholas, who started off as a proselyte, became a Jew and then became a Christian, then for some reason veered off course and was the founder of a group that Christ despised. So isn't it interesting? We have the 12 original apostles. One of them turns out bad. We have the seven original deacons and one of them turns out potentially bad. The first deacons of the new church the word deacon means to serve. There's no mention of a deacon prior to Acts chapter 6, but there's plenty of mention of deacons after Acts 6. And so the third part we look at, the apostles responded by recognizing their choices. In verse 6, when they sent before, set before the apostles and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. 
So they laid hands on them. The, the apostles ratified their choices. And at the same time, it was as they were laying hands on them, they were praying that God would bestow upon these seven the necessary gifts for their tasks. They couldn't impart anything to them. This kind of silliness that people think, oh yeah, all he has to do is come and he can, he can impart the Holy Spirit onto this person or that person or give them that gift. No, no. The Holy Spirit gives gifts. And none of us, even the only one who thought he could have the Holy Spirit to give, Simon Magus, was in the gall of bitterness because he couldn't buy the Holy Spirit. That should be a lesson to those who think, oh, all I have to do is touch somebody and they'll receive the Holy Spirit. No, you won't. You're not the dispenser. I'm not the dispenser. And so the, the laying out of hands was to say to the, the congregation, all right, these men then will serve and we will pray God for them that they will be able to serve to the best of their abilities through the gifts that God gives them. And then the fourth, the response from God. It begins in verse 7. <clears throat> then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. The word of God spread. The apostles now untethered from the daily ministration of food were now fully energized in their calling. There's a, a neat construction that's given in the Greek on this. The word of God increased. Axano, to grow. And the verb tense meant it kept on growing. And then followed by the number of disciples multiplied. At the same time, it kept on multiplying. So as the word continues to grow, the number of disciples continues to grow. It's you can't have one without the other. The word has to grow for the disciples to grow. So as the first increased, it would secure the other increase. So then we have the very necessity of the deacon ministry. But we won't miss this also. And a great many priests were added to the faith. Jude, in verse 3, says, to contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. Paul talks about the faith in Romans chapter 1 and verse 5, and it means the gospel, the whole truth of Christ. So many priests now were coming to this, much to the chagrin of Caiaphas and Annas, the high priests, to see some of their ranks thinning because they were coming to Christ through the preaching of the apostles. Now some people think, well, this is, this is, this is a big thing. There's no saying it's not a big thing. But if you've studied the Old Testament all your life, and you see what Christ did and what Christ said, you should be the first to respond. And in so many cases, they were the last. But we understand in looking at this, <clears throat> everything came out harmoniously. 
but it could have been a disaster. If not handled correctly, you could hear someone say, these people are making widows suffer. There were a great many people who came up with all kinds of lies about Christianity. Oh, you know, they practice incest. They practice incest. They, they're immoral. They greet each other with a kiss. They have love feasts. You know what that means, don't you? Lies, lies, lies. And that happens all the time. Do we need any more to look at this endless rolling out of political things that are supposed to be called commercials but are nothing but savage attacks that lack 88% of truth? They sneak a little 10% in there or 12%, but the rest is so full of exaggeration and lies, outright lies. Under leadership of the Holy Spirit, greater unity came out of what was fomenting division. In verse 5, we read that the saying pleased the whole multitude. The whole multitude was pleased by what the apostles said. We must give ourselves prayer and the ministry of the word. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And it pleased the congregation to hear that. And they chose not seven they chose seven, not 20, not eight, not 13. They didn't have three primaries and two runoffs. They chose seven. And they chose them from the Hellenist Jews. Well, quickly, as we close here, first, the unity came from a distinction between the ministry of the word and the ministry of mercy between the heavenly and the temporal, reminding us how we live in two worlds at once. And here would be the distinction between the elders and the deacons, a distinction that would be made even greater as we continued on into the New Testament. And here, secondly, we see the need of both. The elders could not handle all tasks adequately. And the reason is they weren't supposed to. They were actually doing what they, they weren't supposed to be doing by spending all that time making sure everything was distributed properly. The deacons took the responsibility for the temporal needs. And if you notice, it got really quiet. There were no more complaints. Each did what God had designed. It could not happen without each doing what they had been called to do. We also notice quickly in verse 7 something Luke makes really clear. The word of God spread. Every reference to the church growing at this point previously was the number of disciples multiplied. Or God added to the church on those days, on that day. 
But here, here's the first time it said the word of God spread. And what is it that the apostles said they needed to do? Give themselves what? To the ministry of the word. And as soon as they started doing what they were supposed to do, the word of God even grew more and more. It's not that the Bible got bigger. It's that the word of God became more clear and spread out more. And they were able to speak of more things. getting its proper service because the apostles were freed up from the ministry of it. So that should be a delight for any congregation. For any congregation to say, our pastors, our elders, they are men of prayer and men of the word. Not great storytellers, not great entertainers, not great carpenters, this is what the elders were called to do. And every church should be delighted to hear that their elders are doing such a thing. This is a crying need at all times. And in these times for sure. Perhaps you know about the governor of California setting up billboards all across the country. Inviting people to come to California to get their babies killed. And he has the gall, the gall on those billboards to say, Jesus said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this man certainly needs his soul prayed for. But to use the words of Jesus and to show the foolishness of it all, by saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, when does the baby become a neighbor? Can a baby not be a neighbor in the womb? But you see, people look at that. They say, oh, the governor of California is quoting the Bible. Isn't that wonderful? Quoting the Bible to encourage women to come and kill their babies. No. That's evil. But see, we need those who will stand up and see and lead their churches to see these things because it's so easy. Someone hears a little ditty in a song that's popular and it mentions God and you say, well, can't we sing that in church? And it's saying something about God that's totally wrong. And people say, oh, well, you know, we, we like Hillsong. We like Bethel. We like their songs and their music. And their music's full, full of heresy. Yeah, but it sounds so good, doesn't it? But see, somebody's got to say, look, here's where it's wrong. And here's why it's wrong. I had an academic paper come across my desk this week. A feminist changing Christian doctrine to meet their ideals. And, you know, when it comes to handling Scripture, the devil does a pretty good job disguising himself as an angel of light. But see, you have to know what Scripture says before you can see how they twisted it. 
And we need that kind of thing. We don't need, we don't need professionals. We don't need entertainers. We need elders, pastors, who will speak clearly the Word of God, the truth in love, yes, but the truth, the truth. That's what they are called to do. And deacons have a great blessing too in that they are called to take care of the flock, but in a whole different way. Let's stand together for prayer. Things trying to die.